All right, last week we were talking about being the new creation that we are. Uh, we were talking about holiness and about how God is sanctifying us and he's making us more and more holy all the time. But we also talked about how we have a part to play in this. Uh, Paul is appealing to the Corinthian church not to take the grace of God in vain. Uh, we are the temple of the living God. God is living inside of us. That's his promise. And Paul says to them in chapter 7, verse 1, since we have these promises, what promise? That God will be with us in our very presence. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing, holy, uh, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, I'm going to tell you the illustration that I used again um, last week, uh, not because I think you've forgotten it. I'm sure you all remember it very well. Um, I just think it's going to help us again today. So the illustration I used was about taking a farm dog and turning it into a house dog. And I said, look, I don't know what it is about dogs. I, I, I don't understand how something with such a sensitive nose can love the most putrid of things. And so if a dog can find a rotting kangaroo carcass out in the paddock, uh, it's going to be as happy as Larry because it's going to roll in that dead kangaroo and get little bits of rotting fat and little bits of old intestinal guts and bits and stuff all through itself and all stuck to it. And it's going to be just covered in the stench and be as happy as Larry. But if you want to take that farm dog out of its natural environment and turn it into a house dog, then you've got a, got a bit of cleaning to do. You've got to put it in a tub of hot soapy water and give it a jolly good scrubbing so that you get every bit of that putrid stench out of its coat. And that's a little bit what it's like for us to be saved. We were putrid with sin, but now we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. By the grace of God, we've been made holy. But to take the grace of God in vain is for us to go back sinning again. It would be like that freshly scrubbed and cleaned and possibly blow-dried dog going outside and finding a dead goanna to roll in. You see, that dog's nature hasn't changed. Its desire isn't to be fluffy and clean and nice. Um, no matter how much we clean that dog up, it stays the same. And it, it just wants to find something that stinks so that it can roll in it and become one with it and become something that stinks too. The dog remains the same creature that it always was because it's still wired to be putrid. But for disciples of Jesus... For those who are in Christ, our story is very different to that. Paul tells us in chapter 5, verse 17, that we are a new creation. And all of this discussion today about holiness is all in the context of us being a new creation, something new that God has done in us. Um, in Christ, our transformation is so profound and so complete that we're not just changed a little bit so that we're just a little bit better behaved. We become a new creature. That's what a new creation is. A and even our desires change. Our old desire was for things that make us putrid with sin. But now that we are in Christ, we don't want those things anymore. 
We don't want to have any part of those things anymore. Our new desire is to leave behind the things that we used to enjoy, perhaps, but the things that, de that defile us. And we leave that behind to live righteously to please God. Now, we mightn't always achieve this. I know I don't always achieve this. Uh, we mightn't always be able to live righteously, but our desire is to do that, isn't it? Is your desire to please God? Yeah. And so our desire is to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Right, so that's a recap from last week. But there was a section in the Bible reading that I, that I didn't cover so much last week because we're going to spend some time on it today. Um, the theme is still the same. It, it's still about being the new creation that we are. But Paul gives us an instruction on how holiness requires some kind of separation. Now, if you don't mind, I might just read the Bible reading today, seems as we're already going. So the reading for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through to chapter 7, verse 1. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Righto. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What does that mean? Now, back in the day, uh, not back in my day, if you think I'm that old, uh, but back in my dad's day, he used to do this, but even more so back in my grandfather's day, to plough a paddock was done with a beast of burden. You, you would pull a plough with either a bullock or a draft horse, or in some countries they might use a donkey or a mule. And if you needed a bigger tractor, you'd just hitch more of them together. So you'd use two bullocks to pull a plough or a wagon or whatever, or two draft horses to pull a, a plough or a wagon or whatever, or two mules. And if you still needed a bigger tractor, you'd add more to it. Use four bullocks, six bullocks, eight bullocks. Now, when, the, when God called the prophet Elisha, he was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, I don't know if that's ever stuck, stuck out to you or not, but that's a mighty big tractor. Back in the day, 12 yoke of oxen would have been a really big bit of gear. So you could just hitch more and more beasts of burden together to get yourself a bigger tractor. But what you couldn't do is mix and match. Right? So you couldn't hitch a bullock together with a horse. 
or you couldn't hitch a, a bullock together with a donkey. They're not matched, you see, and they don't work well together. And in fact, the law forbid it. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, it says, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. That's what it means to be unequally yoked. It's not talking about putting a big bullock with a smaller bullock. That's not, that's not being unequally yoked. It's not about putting an immature bullock with a mature bullock. And it's not about putting a white bullock with a black bullock. That's not what it's talking about. To be unequally yoked is to be matched with an entirely different species. Don't put them together. All right, so let me give you a, a modern equivalent. Let's talk about pulling scrub. Um, now, for most of our locals, you probably know all about pulling scrub. Some of you mightn't. Uh, maybe some people listening to the podcast or watching the video have no idea what I'm talking about when I'm talking about pulling scrub. So let me just tell you what that's about. In Queensland, or particularly in our part of Queensland, vegetation needs to be managed so that the grass can continue to grow. Now, every now and then, the city folk might hear on the news some alarming figures about how many hectares or how many square kilometres of, of country is being cleared every month or every year or whatever. And they quickly do the sums and they come to a big panic. Oh, no, there's not going to be a tree left standing in the next, in the next decade. There's no, no need to panic, folks. Trees regrow. And the land that you hear is get, that's getting cleared today, well, what the environmentalists don't tell you is it's already been cleared before. And most of it's been cleared a number of times, four or five times, some of it. You see, trees regrow. And if we don't clear the trees occasionally, then they get too thick and they compete too much with the grass and the grass won't grow and there's nothing for the stock to eat. So every decade or two or three, the country needs to be pulled again and burned so that so it'll grow grass again. So what does pulling scrub look like? Well, ideally, two large bulldozers. Uh, these days, most people will be using a D10 or a D9, but you can use smaller stuff. And they link them together with a large chain and they drive them along apart from each other a little bit with this large chain linked between them and they pull the timber as they go. Now I've got a little video clip here for if, if you've never seen it before, this is what it looks like. I think these might be Komatsu dozers, by the way. As you, as you can understand, that's not the sort of chain that you would usually hang a, hang a cross on around your neck. It's a fair bit stronger than that. Now, I don't know if you can notice or not, those two dozers, they're not exactly the same size, are they? One's a fair bit bigger than the other. Now, you can, you can pull scrub with two dozers that are a bit different size. You just have to, ideally, they'll be a similar size to each other. Um, you just gotta go a little bit careful because if you're driving the big dozer and you start pulling too hard and too fast, you might end up pulling the smaller one backwards. But they do work together. Right, so we're going to use that as our modern equivalent of being equally yoked. Pulled up two bulldozers, joined together with a chain, doing a job. They're our beasts of burden. Now what you can't do is this. Next picture. 
Righto, now for those who can't see this, if you're listening to the podcast, I'll just put two pictures up on the screen. One is of a Caterpillar D10, which is approximately 700 horsepower. And the other is a 789 horsepower machine, a Ferrari 812 Superfast. Right, so the Ferrari's actually got more power than that dozer. Can we hook those two beasts of burden together to do the job? No, I don't think so. All right, that, that's probably a little bit silly. Let's look at the next picture. How about that, all right? So I've just, for those who can't see, I've just put up a picture of a Kenworth truck. Um, it's 625 horsepower, according to its advertisement. Could we harness that Kenworth truck? They're both beasts of burden. All three of them are beasts of burdens. One's designed for carrying people, the other's designed for carrying goods, and the other's designed for pushing and pulling stuff. But could we hook those two beasts of burden together? It's not going to work very successfully, is it? Why not? Because they're essentially different species. They're both powerful, they're all powerful machines but they're different species, they're entirely different. And when Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, it's because disciples of Jesus and people of the world, believers and unbelievers are a different species. A a child of God and a child of the devil are an entirely different creature. Now, In this day and age when nobody wants to be offended, and in fact some people feel that it's their right to not be offended, uh, a statement like that is quite frowned upon. And they might say, oh, you Christians, you're so elitist, you're so black and white on things and you're so judgmental. But the thing is, unless we can understand this reality, unless we can grasp the biblical and spiritual truth that there is this kind of division between us, that that there are two types of people in the world. There are the children of God and the children of of the devil. Unless we can get this, and unless we can understand this and accept this, then we're not going to understand what this passage is about. Before you were born again, before you gave your life to Jesus... You were a child of the devil. There is no neutral ground here. We're either for Jesus or we're against him. And some people say, oh, come on. Come on, how can I be against something that I don't even believe in? Well, by not believing in God, you are against him. And when we were born again, we became a new creation. We're not the same anymore. And Jesus isn't only our saviour. He doesn't just save us. He is our Lord. And Jesus deserves our entire allegiance. Now, Paul uses the terms partnership, fellowship, accord, portion, and agreement. What partnership? has righteousness with lawlessness. Now, the Greek word there, metoshi, yes, it refers to partnership, but it's a sharing of common goals and a sharing of common activities. That's what a partnership is, a sharing of common goals and activities. What are the common goals and activities of righteousness and lawlessness? 
There are no common goals. There are no common ac activities. Whether it be in a marriage re relationship, or whether it be in a business partnership, or any other kind of partnership, your goals will be very different to the goals of an unbeliever. And the activities that, that you are called to as a Christian will be very different to the activities that an unbeliever is taking up. If a Christian whose goal is righteousness tries to partner with someone who, who rejects Christ, they're going to be constantly torn because their partner will have very different goals. Let's talk about marriage. Do not be unequally yoked in marriage by marrying an unbeliever. Don't even consider partnering with an unbeliever in marriage. One of the greatest privileges, one of the greatest responsibilities in marriage, God willing, is to bring up children. And as disciples of Jesus, our greatest desire and our greatest goal is to see our children come to faith in Jesus Christ. Is there any parent here who doesn't agree with that? Is there any parent here that doesn't agree that, that, that as a parent, your greatest desire for your child is to see them come to faith in Jesus? We all agree with it, don't we? Kids, do you know that? Do you know that your mum and your dad's greatest desire for you is to come to faith in Jesus? Everything else is, it's a side issue. That is the greatest start that you can have in life. But way too often, a, a Christian man, or, or, or more often a Christian woman, ignores this very simple and very wise instruction of God not to be unequally yoked to an unbeliever, and they start dating someone who's not a Christian. I've seen this happen over and over again, I bet you have too, and you say, why would you do that? And I say, oh, it's, it's, it's not like I'm marrying them. I'm just going out with them. I'm just dating them. Well, what's the purpose of dating? The whole purpose of dating is to decide, is this person a suitable person for me to marry? And the thing is, we've already got the answer before we begin. Um, are, is this person a suitable person to marry? Are they a Christian? No, they're not. Well, you've already got the answer. No need to start dating. Because um, starting a relationship there is just something that's going to cause pain and cause hurt in the long run. And it's not fair to lead them on. And quite often, it just goes on and it goes too far, and they do end up marrying them. But even at that point, they say, oh, I know that, that some people have problems in their marriage between Christian and non-Christian, but you don't understand how lovely my man is or how nice my girl is. It won't be a problem for us. And it always is. It always is. You see... Their goals are the opposite, and their activities are the opposite. The Christian's desire is to worship God. Is that the unbeliever's desire? No, it's not. And, and their, their goal is to, to, to grow in faith. 
Is that the goal of an unbeliever? No. And they want to see their partner come to faith. Their partner? Not so much. And they want to see their children come to faith. But their partner, well, the whole time, they're just hoping that this Jesus thing is a bit of a fad that their partner's going to grow out of. And the Christian's hopes and dreams for their children is for them to make Christ their everything while the unbeliever is hoping for carnal things for their child. Their hope is that they'll just excel in sport or academia or that they'll be a popular person and well-liked. And that's quite often, often the opposite to being a Christian. We're not going to be the most popular people and we're not going to be the most well-liked. Jesus has told us that. The goals and the activities of righteousness are very different to the goals and the activities of lawlessness. And that can go for all sorts of partnerships. When it comes to partnership with unbelievers, be separate. Do not be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. What fellowship has light with darkness? I love fellowship. Yeah, fellowship is something a lot of people don't even understand. And, and in fact, if, you, if you're not involved in a church... You might actually hardly ever even hear the word fellowship and certainly don't really know what it means. But fellowship is one of the things that I love most about being a Christian. Does anyone agree? Who, put up your hand if you love fellowship. Three of us do, four of us do. Right, I will get together and have a bit of a bit of fellowship later. Righto. Um, so fellowship is koinonia is the Greek word. It's a brotherly bond. It's a very close connection. And I can meet a Christian for the very first time, and we have this instant connection, this instant bond. They're like a brother to me, or they're like a sister to me. I know every time that we've moved towns, I've just wondered, how do you get a group of friends together and close friendships? without being a Christian. I don't know how it happens. Like, whenever we've moved to a town, the first thing we do is we go and find a church to fellowship with. And straight away, people who we've never met before ask us over for dinner. And they bring us into their family. And it's like they are family. Well, because they are. We've both got the same Heavenly Father. Last year, Robin and I both went to Sydney uh, to visit some family who aren't Christians. And while we were there, we, we went out to dinner to a birthday party and we met some folk who we've never known before, never heard of them before, and we just clicked. Do you know why we clicked? Because they are Christians. And they invited us along to church and a couple of days later we went to church with them and we just really enjoyed their company. And then that night we went to another church because we had met once. There was a, there was a couple from, from Richmond Came to, came to church here. They've been listening to the Bush Disciples podcast and, and they just came to our to Bush Disciples service as they're passing through one day and we met this couple once. Anyway, we visited them at their church and, and we met there another couple and we went out to dinner and these people, we really didn't know them at all but we just clicked and even now, I miss these people. 
I wish I could spend more time with them. They're so far away. If you're listening to this, maybe we'll catch up again one day um, because they do <laughs> listen to it. At least they used to. I might have done something to upset them and I'll never see them again. But that's what fellowship is. And this is the sort of connection that the children of the light have with one another. But what close union, what brotherly bond has light with darkness? We've been called out of the darkness and into the light. And, and something that you've probably discovered is that the longer you've been a Christian, the less you have in common with your non-Christian friends. And the longer you've been a Christian, the less you have in common with, with family who aren't Christians. Why is that? It's because they're still living in darkness. And God has called you out of darkness and into the light. What accord has Christ with Belial? Interesting word, that one, symphonesis. Uh, it sounds a bit like symphony, doesn't it? And that's exactly what it is. Uh, it means to agree or to be in harmony with or to be in accord with. It's literally about a harmonious sound of many musical instruments, a symphony. All right? What agreement, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Now, by the way, Belial in this context is just another name for Satan, another name for the devil. So what harmony, what Beautiful music is there between Jesus and the devil. None. Christ and Satan are diametrically opposed to each other. And some people will probably try and tell you, oh, it doesn't matter what religion you are. We're all worshipping the same God. Rubbish. The Lord our God, Yahweh, reveals himself as the one true God, that there are no others. And the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. The worship of other gods is the worship of demons. Satan is the one who receives their worship. And our God is a jealous God. It is right to worship God and God alone. There is no accord. There is no harmony between different religions. There is no harmony between Christ and the devil. Now, as most of you know, uh, I used to be a minister in a certain denominational church. And in that church, at a denominational level, and they're even encouraging people to do it at, at a local congregational level, uh, they, they conducted what they called interfaith dialogue. Now, to some people that might sound a bit sus, uh, to others, it might sound, ah, oh, that's okay. There's no reason not to talk with other faiths. Um, but at every synod meeting, we would hear, they'd give us the report on what they'd achieved in their interfaith dialogue. And usually, most years, they would tell us how they met together for some kind of interfaith worship service, where Muslims and Hindus and various Christian denominations and Buddhists and Jews and all other types would come together to worship together and pray together. And they'd tell us how wonderful it was and my spirit would groan. Have you not read the scriptures? 
Do you not understand that we are called to be apart from these things, to come out from this? Have you not understood that we're not to be yoked to these things? What harmony, what accord has Christ with Belial? And I suspect that more and more we're going to see pressure being exerted to hold some kind of joint worship or joint prayer in public settings. That is already happening in the cities now, um, particularly at times of, of, um, of crisis and in times of, of national mourning. You'll see them organising some kind of, of interfaith prayer or interfaith services. Um, I suspect perhaps out here in the bush, uh, probably the first thing we're going to see is trying to mix Indigenous spirituality in with Christianity. But joint worship, joint prayer, is something that we can never do. Now, I'm not talking about um, joining together with other Christian churches. That's, that's a good thing, right? We're all for that. I'm talking about taking it to a whole different step, to fellowshipping with other religions. We're told to be separate. And it doesn't matter what your faith background is or what culture you come from. If it includes some kind of spiritual practice or spiritual worship or prayer that isn't of Christ, that there's no harmony between that and your new Christian faith. Be separate, come out of it. Uh, We've we got to remember that Paul is writing here to the Corinthian church, right? And in Corinth, Corinth was known for a place with a multitude of, of, of um, temples and, and it was a really heathen sort of place and they worshipped all sorts of gods. And most of that Corinthian church had to leave behind their idolatry. They had to leave behind the worship of other gods uh, and they willingly did this. They willingly left all these things behind to worship Jesus instead. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? It's like, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Well, really, the only thing we have in common is our past and our need of a saviour. But when we look forward to the future, when we look forward to our inheritance, right, we all have a spiritual future before us. And for the believer, for those who are in Christ, we look forward to, to sharing in, in glory and eternity with our beautiful Lord and Saviour. But an unbeliever looks forward to the day of judgment. And the only way for us to share the portion that we have, the only way so that, that, that we can share this wonderful future with Jesus is to share our faith with them now. Share the gospel with them in the hope that they too might, might give their hearts to Jesus and, and then share the same portion as we do. But until they turn to Jesus, our, our portion is nothing alike. Be separate. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? What agreement, what arrangement is there 
between the temple of God and idols. Well, obviously, idols, idolatry, the worship of other gods is an abomination to God. They have no place in the temple. And then Paul goes on to explain that we are the temple. We are the temple of the living God. And, and so there's no place for idolatry in us. That There's no place for dabbling in other religions or alternative spirituality. Don't get drawn into some of the in fad, in fashion sorts of stuff like new age mysticism or, or any other kinds of spirituality or alternative therapies that masquerade as being health stuff where they're actually based on religious practices. Be separate. You see, because God makes his home with us, because he is our God and, and, and we are his people. Verse 17 says, Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I'll be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Right? Because we are in the presence of a holy God, it is right for us to be separate from the unholy. But in what way do we do that? Well, I think it's obvious he's talking about separation in terms of partnership, fellowship, accord, portion, and agreement. But when we start thinking about separation... Today's Bible reading is a really good example of why it's really important that we have a grasp of the whole of the Bible and we don't just take little bits of it on our own, on its own. If we were to take today's Bible reading all on its own, we'd probably come to the decision, righto, next week we're going to start setting up a Christian commune out in the sticks where we're not going to have to come across any of those pesky unbelievers. Because, you know, we might happen to rub up against them and, and they leave us unholy. Right? But that's not at all what it's talking about here. You might remember that Jesus used to have a few interactions with a group of people called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were literally the separated ones. That's what the word Pharisee means. They were the separated ones. And the Pharisees and Jesus didn't get on real well. And in fact, Jesus used to get criticised by the Pharisees for not being separate. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, it says, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, in today's reading, we're getting told to be separate. But we know from Jesus that being separate doesn't mean being absent. Separation 
isn't isolation. Another way of putting it, it is be in the world, but not of the world. Don't be tied to the world. Be with unbelievers, but don't be yoked to unbelievers. Because how are we ever going to share the good news of Jesus if we separate ourselves off from the world? You know, throughout history, Christians have had a, a history of doing that. Convents and cloisters were built where people could shut themselves off completely from the world and they could just be together with a few other Christians and mostly on their own, just them and God. And that's the way they lived their lives. Some people live in Christian communes. Some churches set up for themselves Christian schools, Christian shops, Christian hospitals, Christian superannuation, Christian holiday spots, everything Christian. And they effectively cut themselves off from the world. Think about the Amish. They cut themselves off from other communities and, and from technology. Some groups claim their independence from government and say, oh, well, we're going to stake our claim and we're actually going to su succeed from, from the nation and we're going to be, be our own nation. Now, this isn't at all what we're called to do. The lesson for today isn't about being isolated. The message is don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And there's a, that's an important difference. It means don't be tied to unbelievers. Don't be hitched to unbelievers. We are nothing alike. Yes, we should mix with unbelievers, but don't be partners with unbelievers. We should be acquainted with them. And we should be friends with them, with unbelievers. But don't be in fellowship with unbelievers in the way that we are to the depth that we are with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't be tied to an unbeliever or yoked to them. When it comes to other religions or spiritual stuff, yeah, be friendly to people of other religions. Um, a good example is what we see Paul at, at, the, at Athens when he goes to the Areopagus. He, he didn't insult these people. He just shared with them. He actually started with them. He talked about their faith. And then he shared them with them about Jesus Christ. And this is a model for us. Don't be rude. Don't be arrogant towards other people of other faiths. But yes, do share your faith with Jesus with them. But don't be in harmony with them. Don't combine together and say, well, we're going to worship together or we're going to pray together because we're talking about entirely different gods. There is no harmony. There is no agreement between your faith and any other kind of spirituality. So don't be unequally yoked, but do be present. That's, that's a tough line to draw sometimes, isn't it? How do we draw that line? Let's put it this way. An ox and a donkey can share the same paddock. They can graze in that same paddock. They can even go and rub against one another if they've got an itch or whatever. But when they're yoked kicked together, they depend on each other in a whole new way. To be yoked together means 
that you have to work together as one unit, heading in the one direction, having the one goal. So what kinds of relationships do we get yoked together or hitched together? Well, I think the obvious one was the one that I've already spoken a bit about, is, is the marriage relationship. And that doesn't begin with marriage. It begins right from the period of courtship. By the way, courtship. I was talking to, to a young couple not long ago and, and um, I mentioned the word courtship and they had no idea what I was talking about. Put up your hand, be honest, put up your hand if you don't know what courting is, if you don't know what courtship is. Right? There's a few of you. Courtship is something that doesn't seem to get done anymore, but it's really important that we do. To court somebody is when a boy sees a girl and he thinks, I wonder if she might be a girl that I might one day marry. And so you want to get to know that girl a bit better and you want to spend a bit of time together with her or vice versa, a girl might see a boy. It is a leap year after all. Apparently that's a thing. Um, a, a girl sees a boy and thinks, I wonder, he seems a nice chap. And so courting is the time that you spend together, getting to know each other, to try and ascertain, is this a person that God is, might be calling me to spend the rest of my life with? Right? That's courtship. These days, I think people just hook up. Is that the word? They hook up and just have a good time together. Courtship is what we should be doing as Christians. And, and the marriage relationship, it's like no other. And that's why we need to have this period of courtship, which comes before engagement. Um, marriage is an interdependent hitching together. It is a yoking together in a way that no other relationship does. It joins us together so close. We actually, it, in, in the scriptures, it's termed as a one flesh relationship. And when a Christian starts dating a non-Christian, non no good can come of that. I want you to understand that. When a Christian starts dating a non-Christian, no good can come of that. As one preacher said, when a child of God marries a child of the devil, he's always going to have trouble with his father-in-law. Now, if you don't get that, you can think about it. If you still don't get it in a day or two, ask me and I'll explain it. But we can be yoked together in business partnerships. Don't. Don't be yoked to an unbeliever in a business partnership. Um, working relationships even today. Employers today sometimes require their staff to sign employment contracts that limit their re religious freedom. They limit what they're allowed to talk about, whether they're even allowed to share their faith in the workplace. We, we saw this happening last year with with Israel Falal and all of the discussion there over whether he was or wasn't allowed to share his Christian faith in his own time, even. Or we could even be unevenly yoked together in, in very close friendships. And from a church perspective, we should consider about how we relate with other religions um, or whether we even do or don't receive government funding. 
I know that some churches have started out, they've had trouble with this very thing. They've begun a ministry of, of education or a ministry of health care, and they started out as their own thing, and it was a very... Uh, it, it was a very important ministry that they carried out and they employed Christians to do it, but then they started getting government funding to fund their education and to fund their hospitals or whatever. And then from that point on, they, they sort of lose the, the ability to even say, hey, we're only going to employ Christians. And so that is a yoking together, which if it comes with strings attached, can be a real problem. Right? So that's just a few examples of how we shouldn't be unevenly yoked. All this has been pretty heavy going, isn't it? I want us to remember that all of this is in the context of being the new creation that God has made us. And it's in the context of the presence of God. Right? The presence of God, the presence of our holy God, is the one who drives us towards holiness. And sometimes this holiness requires a separation where I, I can't, I'm tempted too much by these things. I need to separate myself from here. And the presence of God is wonderful. And since we have the promise that God will be with us, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's pray. Lord, for some of us, we've gotten too close to the world and we've tied ourselves in some way to unbelievers. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and we ask that you would help us to be free from these ties that shouldn't be. But Lord, for some of us, we've been absent from the world. We, we have, we, we've done more than separate ourselves. We've isolated ourselves from unbelievers. And God, forgive us for doing that. Forgive us for not loving the world as you love the world. Lord, we ask that you would help us to honour you in this way, that, that we would be yoked to you and that we would be yoked to our brothers and sisters in Christ and that we would not be yoked to unbelievers. But Lord, at the same time, help us not to isolate ourselves. Help us to be ever present in the world so that we can love those who you love and so that we can share the gospel with those who don't know you. Lord, help us to love them enough to do that. And Lord, we want to thank you for your presence and we ask that you would help us to be holy. Help us to be the new creation that we truly are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.